Welcome to the Real Estate Secrets Podcast for healthcare professionals, hosted by Austin Hare and Nathan Palmer, who together have over two decades of real estate knowledge and investing. Well, hello guys, welcome back everybody. Okay, this is called Trigger the Two Words That Transform Any Negotiation. We are on chapter five of Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. And if you've been following along, you'll know that this is just a phenomenal book and it's very, very popular for real estate experts and gurus and just anything that you're trying to negotiate for. So we are gonna go ahead and dive right in. Um, so for starters, we're gonna start we're gonna start off with a story about a man named Carl Rogers. And this is a uh, it, it's essentially what it, Carl Rogers was a psychologist back in the day, and he created what's called the unconditional positive regard. And what it means is that you know, he proposed that real change can only come when they accept the client for who they really are, they being the psychologist, right, the therapist. And the reason is because the majority of us feel love, praise, and approval come conditionally from doing things that earn the love, such as good behavior or completing chores or tasks or whatever. And this is just an innate uh, feeling and an emotion that has been taught to us at an early age by our parents because our parents gave us praise and positive affirmation for doing things that were good. Not saying that the parents are bad for doing this, not saying that they didn't have unconditional love, but the result is by getting praise for good behavior, we will associate love with good behavior. And um, since we have this belief, we have a tendency to hide who we really are and we calibrate our words towards what we think will give us the most approval with other people. So this is why so few social interactions lead to change. I mean, for the doctors and the healthcare providers out there, you know, think about how when you tell somebody, hey, you, you know, you have to start doing this, you almost had a heart attack or you got, you're going to have cancer if you don't start flossing. And the patient says, yeah, 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 of course, of course, of course, I'll, I'll start doing that, I'll change, right? What happens is they don't. Even when extreme conditions are on the line, when extreme circumstances are at place, like their life could be on the line and still <laughs> they don't change, which is crazy. So the reason is because we are getting a insincere yes answer when what we really should be looking for is a that's right. And a that's right is, is different from a yes. A, th a that's right signifies that the counterpart, the person that you're talking with, feels understood. So this is why that's right is the phrase that you should be searching for. Uh, it's, it's the two most important words that you can look for in a negotiation and usually it takes a long time to build up to. So let's talk a story about the Filipino terrorist. You may have heard of a man named Abu Sabaya. He was a deadly Filipino terrorist. Uh, I believe he was killed in, in 2002, but all throughout the 90s, he wore these camouflage pants and these sunglasses and had this whole look about him, and he loved media attention. So they would interview him in Tagalog, his native language, and he would always respond back in English because he wanted people to hear him and see him. And he really believed he should be well known. And I mean, he had this huge ego. I mean, it's just really what he was, was a cold hearted, cold killing businessman. That's, that's all there is to it. But he used terrorism as his means of conducting business. So what had happened in this case was Sabaya had an international hostage, this guy from the US. And he claimed that he wanted $10 million in ransom money for this hostage. The reason that he arrived at the $10 million mark was because he heard about $20 million being used for six hostages to be released recently. And that was kind of like the benchmark that he was going off of. 
however, this particular hostage was from a working class family. I mean, his mom couldn't have even paid a $10,000 ransom. And the thing is, the U.S. government does not negotiate with terrorists. They're not about to contribute a single dollar. Now, they will obviously help negotiate, which is where Chris Voss comes in and the FBI comes in, is they are sent over to help through the negotiations because we're not going to pay money as the U.S., but we do value uh, lives, and especially American lives, right? So the $10 million USD mark, um, Sabaya was essentially arguing, because he was, he was Muslim, that the Muslims had suffered 500 years of oppression in the Philippines, which is obviously ridiculous. And he wanted $10 million in war damages. So it's interesting because he wasn't calling this a ransom. He was calling it war damage. <laughs> and it, it's very unusual. And so the Filipinos, uh, the Philippine government brought on a guy called Benji. He was the negotiator that was chosen to handle all the conversations and all the dialogue with Sabaya. And it was all in, done in Tagalog, their native language. So everything had to be translated back in order so that you could hear it from the FBI's perspective in English. And Benji told Sabaya that the war damages had nothing to do with the hostage and that they, they couldn't get the $10 million. Like, there's that, you know, there's just absolutely no way we can come up with $10 million. But none of that seemed to matter to Sabaya. I mean, he was just, he was dead set in his opinion and he was dead set in his claims. So, the, the first that's right came a little bit later on. Um, the reason why Sabaya was such a big deal was because his, his men rarely took hostages. So, I mean, they were very feared, very popular among the media and among the Filipino country and even worldwide. I mean, you can go online and look at YouTube videos right now. And so what happened was during a moment of clarity, they realized, okay, we're not getting anywhere with this guy. What we need to do is create a sense of understanding and build rapport by getting him, well, by listening to him in order to get him to come to the that's right realization. And this became difficult because Benji, as it turns out, was also um, opposed to building rapport with this guy because he hated him. So Chris needed Benji on his team. He needed him to come around to the, the mission and the means of doing it, and he didn't want to. He was reluctant. So Chris had to put a label on this case. So there was a negotiation within a negotiation, and this happens a lot, right? You have to negotiate with your team before you can negotiate with the client or with the counterpart, with whoever it is that you're talking to. And so in this case, you know, Chris just realized, all right, we got to start with, we got to start here first at square one. And he said, you hate Saibaya, don't you? And then Benji just unloaded on him and started telling all the things that he hated about him and all the reasons that, you know, he killed one of his men. And all these, I mean, they were right, they're reasons that would cause anybody to hate Saibaya. But it was the equivalent of that's right. And that was the beginning of Benji becoming a superstar. He was already doing a great job, but this was the breakthrough. And... It didn't come till the, the that's right moment. So what you want to do is trigger that's right with a summary. And what happened during this whole process, because we're talking months. I mean, we're talking, this is not a, a single day event. I mean, this is a month long process. You had FBI guys making international flights, you know, uh, repeatedly. And this is going on for a long time. And Benji got so good at negotiations that he'd leave Sabaya pondering for hours his response before calling them back. And then what would happen is he would say things, hey, stop, you know, just give me a yes or no. Tell me a yes or no. And, but they had to get him off this idea of the war damage nonsense. So they were struck with this kind of being in between a rock and a hard spot of not getting this t guy killed, but also getting Sabaya to say, that's right. So they started switching to the active listening position. And we talked about it earlier in a, a couple chapters ago called tactile empathy. It's very similar, 
But active listening is anything, it's the opposite of passive. So what this means, well, first of all, you wanna have effective pauses, okay? And the silence is very powerful. So what you do is you just use silence to keep the other person talking. The other thing that you wanna do, the second step is using minimal encouraging words. So that would be like, yes, uh-huh, I see. The third thing is mirroring. And that would mean you just repeat back the last two or three, maybe four words that they said. And instead of arguing with them, all you're doing is mirroring. Okay, just repeat it back. And then you would follow that up. Step four would be labeling. And what labeling is, you're giving feelings a name and an identity with how that person feels. So you're, you're giving them a name and identifying with how that person is feeling at the moment. So what you could say is something like, you know, it all sounds so unfair. I can see why you're angry. That would be something that you, you could say to Sabaya after he's talking about 500 years of Muslim oppression. You know, you don't have to agree. You don't have to disagree. You're just labeling. Oh, that seems unfair. I can see why you're angry, right? And um, and then paraphrase. So you're repeating it back in your own words. And then after all that's said and done, if you go through all these things, and at the very end, you can just summarize how they're feeling. Again, you don't, you're not agreeing with them, but all of this leads to a summary. And so this meant Benji had to view the world according to Sabaya. So he had to look through everything with the lens of Sabaya, and he had to summarize all the nonsense about war damages and oppression with the goal of hearing that's right. And the final outcome was... It, you know, finally had Sabaya, he made the call, and finally Benji did everything mentioned in the above uh, perfectly, All the, went through all four steps, and Sabaya, at the end of it, he just pretty much said, you know, um, summarized how he felt and went through all of the, the different things. I mean, there's things about fishing licenses, you know, oppression, war damages, all these things, and he just repeated it all back to him, summarized it, and then Sabaya said, that's right, and then he hung up the phone. And it was kind of like this you know, almost awkward um, interaction. Sabaya had no more reason to be angry. You know, he had no ground to stand on about hating the negotiator. And so then the war damages disappeared and he never mentioned it again after that. So eventually, Sabaya let his guard down so much that the hostage escaped. I mean, he, uh, he was there for so long. He, he, the anger left, the emotion left, so he lost his motivation to really keep his guard on this guy. He lost his motivation to put resources into it because there was no longer emotional attachment to it, which is crazy if you think about it. And two weeks later, Sabaya called and asked Benji if he'd been promoted yet. And he said, listen, I don't know what you did, but I was gonna hurt that guy, and for some reason I didn't. So that's crazy. Uh, just all by using the that's right strategy, all by getting the counterpart to say that's right. So the what happened you know, during the whole process was that it allowed everybody to speak because they were able to step back from the confrontation and they could just speak freely. And it allowed Benji to agree and without feeling like he gave in, you know? And that's right, also kept Sabaya from hurting the hostage. Now, that's right is different than your right. And those are two very important distinctions that we need to make because your right is not the goal and it's vastly different from that right. Uh, you know, whenever you say your right, usually the goal is to sh stop the, the person from talking. You know, it's usually just to shut them up. Your right is, I mean, if you can think back to examples in your own life, usually when somebody's talking and talking and talking, you say, you're right, you're right, you're right, right. I mean, think about patients. Um, in hospitals and, and, and dentist's office and that sort of thing, when they say you're right, it oftentimes doesn't lead to change. But if you can get them to say that's right, then what they're, they're not accepting it as what you're saying is your truth, but they're accepting it as a universal truth, and that's different. So there's another example of a young man. He was uh, getting his MBA in the U.S., and he was working for a company in Korea. And he returned to Korea to continue working for them, and he wanted to be in the consumer electronics division, but he was currently in the semiconductor division, and that's where he had been stationed. So with Korean, they have a lot of intricacies in their culture and in their, in their company policies, but 
essentially he had to remain in the semiconductor division unless he got approval from his ex-boss. And he got two offers from the consumer electronics division, but when he called his boss, the boss said he won't like essentially no, like you know I want you to stay with the semiconductor. So in order for him to switch, he'd have to get his boss's blessing and convince him that it was the right move. So in order to get the breakthrough, he called his boss, and this is the second time. This is the first time the boss said no. So he called him back and started asking questions just to draw him out. Okay, just basic negotiation style. And the boss said semiconductors was the best position for him. So then this guy asked why, and the boss told him that he was needed to network between semiconductors and consumer electronics. So essentially, you know, the boss wanted that liaison who was able to keep the piece together. So at this stage, the guy, the employee, put a label on it and said, you know, it sounds like you could approve my new position no matter which division I am. Remember, he's saying it sounds like, it seems like, right? And that got the boss to say, that's right. I need your help at headquarters. So by asking questions, you know, being patient, doing a little bit of mirroring, drawing them out, and then putting a label on it, he got the boss to say that's right. And that was the breakthrough. So upon further conversation, the employee found that his boss was looking to get promoted at the headquarters up to the headquarters in about two years' time. And he found out that he could lobby for his boss no matter which division he was at. He found out that he'd be able to effectively put in a good word either at the semiconductors or the consumer electronics division. And so then the boss said, hey, look, you know, after they came to this realization and he, and he mentioned as much, then the boss said, look, if you get an offer at the consumer electronics division, I'll approve it. And so in short, he achieved his goal by asking questions that led to a, that's right, which is pretty crazy. So let's summarize the chapter real quick. The ancient Chinese, they have a proverb, sleeping in the same bed and dreaming different dreams. That's an old Chinese proverb. It's true in marriages and business partners. And the truth is that conversational niceties do not substitute for real understanding. And that's what we have to remind ourselves is yes and uh-huh. It does, does not mean that your counterpart is actually agreeing with you. It does not mean they're actually thinking yes. So the moment you convince them that you understand them, that is when the foundational breakthrough occurs. Creating positive regard opens the door to changing thoughts and behaviors. So just like we've been conditioned since we were young, we feel like we need this we need to get approval, uh, conditional approval, behavioral approval, you know, regarding somebody positively, regardless of whether or not you believe them, or sorry, whether or not you agree with them is what's going to lead to these breakthroughs. And the more that we feel heard and understood, the more likely we are to have constructive behavior, constructive outcomes, constructive conversations. And remember that that's right is always better than that's yes. So always strive for this. And a quick summary to get to that's right, to trigger that's right. Slap a label on it, okay? Remember, it seems, it feels like, it looks like, and then paraphrase what it is that you think that they're saying. So, this is chapter five. We've got a couple more chapters to go. Hang in there, and we'll get you through this as soon as possible, and you'll be ready to negotiate your way to whatever your desired outcome is. So, we'll see you guys soon. If you need help finding the perfect location for your practice, or you're ready to invest in commercial real estate, email us podcast at leadersre.com. That's podcast at leadersre, R-E as in realestate.com. Or go to leadersre.com and fill out our form. See you next time.